wildfire outbreak. We still have a couple of hot days ahead of us. Several new fires burning and the challenge to contain them in the COVID era. Chaos at Maine and Hastings. Two very different versions of an altercation with police and what started it. And a very close call in the Kootenays. And I saw a plane kind of do, do this motion. What pushed this plane off the runway and into a parking lot? You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks very much for joining us. It's late to arrive, but there has been an explosive start to wildfire season in BC. Several days of hot, dry weather and lightning have sparked a number of new wildfires. And as Julia Foy reports, the challenge this year is to fight them as we all struggle with the realities of life in the COVID era. It's not a sight BC Day weekend campers want to see, but this was the scene near Harrison Lake in the upper Fraser Valley. We've got about uh, 48 forest fires that are active right now, uh, about uh, 28 of them uh, over the last uh, two days. In the interior northeast of Kelowna, it's hot on the beaches and on the hills. Rose Valley Dam wildfire, um, the fire did not grow since last night. It still sits at three hectares. The status is still out of control and the cause is unknown. No structures are immediately threatened. 27 personnel were on scene today, on the ground and in the air, to try and tamp this fire down. We have had a lot of lightning since Friday. While most of the weekend blazes were started by lightning, at least one was human-caused is the cold water interchange fire. So that one occurred um, earlier yesterday morning. Um, so we had three initial attack crews on that scene as well as RCMP as the fire was um, caused by a motor vehicle um, uh, burning and it is considered to be a grass fire. It is out of control and it's listed as seven hectares. The wildfire season has ignited while the province is still in the middle of a pandemic. But Farnworth says we don't need to panic about how we will pay for it. Over $100 million is set aside at the beginning of the year in the budget, but, but the reality is this. We spend what's required to fight the fires uh, in the same way that we're having to deal with uh, COVID. Farnworth has this warning for those traveling out to the woods. Be careful when you're out in the backcountry. Be careful when you're using campfires and observe all the rules and regulations when they're saying no campfires and don't toss cigarette butts out the window. Julia Foy, Global News. And on Vancouver Island, crews continue to battle the Green Mountain Fire in Nanaimo. The blaze was first reported Friday afternoon of the many likely sparked, one of the many sparked by lightning. It grew to roughly 15 hectares on Sunday. Crews say the good news is they caught the fire quickly and they are staying on top of it. Vancouver police say they faced an angry, violent mob this weekend while responding to a knife fight on the downtown east side. Some witnesses, though, say police went too far, and one senior says he was injured. So protesters blocked a key intersection in protest. Grace Key has two very different sides to the same story. A couple of dozen people blocked the intersection of East Hastings and Main Street in Vancouver's downtown east side. They were protesting what they claim was police brutality. 
Cell phone video shows the aftermath of a police call involving two men fighting with knives. It happened on Sunday just before 5.30 in the afternoon. After officers took the men into custody, police say a large group swarmed them and more officers were called in. Some of the members of this group were throwing bottles at the officers, other random objects, luggages, um, water bottles. Uh, they were threatening the officers to kill them. George Rubin has a somewhat different version of what unfolded. He says the two men were just pretending to fight. Just playing, dancing. When police arrived, he said he tried to intervene, saying officers threw him to the ground. Kicking them, taser them, with no one question asked whatsoever. So me, I'm standing to to stop the show that what you guys doing and they threw me on the ground and they broke my arm. I believe this male was pushed. Uh, he did not sustain a broken injury. I believe that is a he self-diagnosed himself as a broken arm, but he did not get a broken arm. Two officers had minor injuries. Police arrested seven people from Sunday's incident. Recommended charges include uttering threats, causing a disturbance and assaulting a police officer. As for the small group of protesters, they blocked the intersection overnight before peacefully leaving at about 9 in the morning. Grace Key, Global News. Victoria police are warning the public after a disturbing discovery in a popular park where a growing homeless encampment is becoming a serious concern. Police suspect a dirty needle found in Beacon Hill Park was strategically placed to cause harm. And as Brad McLeod reports, it's not the first time. It's as if an unsettling urban legend has come to life. Victoria police officers found this Sunday in Beacon Hill Park, an uncapped syringe tied to a handrail. There's a small amount of blood in the needle and it was secured to the railing with what looked to be a plastic wrap. It's definitely scary. It's kids around here, it's families, there's vulnerable populations. You can't have that in a park where it's for public. It's not fair to anybody. Police say crime in the area has increased. 50% increase in crimes against persons. These are violent crimes. People were assaulted uh, by people they didn't know. Uh, these were people visiting the park. Some of these people were uh, seeking shelter in the park. The city of Victoria has allowed camping in designated areas of Beacon Hill, choosing not to enforce bylaws which require campers to clean up during the day. It's a stance Premier John Horgan publicly opposes. While the city says moving the encampment could do more harm than good, according to recommendations from the provincial health officer. But this is not the first time syringes have been placed dangerously around the capital city. In June 2017, a needle was found taped underneath a handrail in a downtown Victoria parkade. Later that year, another placed in a parking ticket dispenser. And in January 2018, three people were pricked by used syringes, including a three-year-old who found a dirty needle inside a McDonald's restaurant. There have been no arrests in those cases. Files like this rely so heavily on information from the public. While many are pinning this on the very visible, vulnerable population at the park, one camper near the stairs says no one he knows would do this and that police should consider investigating those vehemently opposed to campers' presence in the park. Police say the culprit could be anyone. Brad McLeod, Global News, Victoria. A man is facing a murder charge after a fatal weekend stabbing in Kamloops. 37-year-old Jason Michael Holm was arrested Saturday, hours after a stabbing at a home on Clark Street. 
Police say the victim, 39-year-old Paul Witten, died in hospital. Holm has since been charged with second-degree murder, and investigators are asking anyone who saw him in downtown Kamloops on Saturday to come forward. Police say the suspect and the victim knew each other. A lucky ending to a dramatic landing for a small aircraft in Nelson this morning. Nelson Fire says the pilot was landing at the airport around 9 a.m., but ended up instead going off the runway, through a fence, across a road, and landing in the parking lot of the wholesale club store. The pilot and one passenger were taken to hospital, both with minor injuries. Nelson Fire and Rescue says the cause of the crash is under investigation, but that valley is susceptible to severe wind gusts. The Transportation Safety Board will look into it. I heard the tires screeching on the runway, and I looked up and I saw a plane kind of do, do this motion over the fence, and it basically nosedived right into the parking lot. Being a holiday Monday contributed to not being a lot of people in the parking lot, and it was still relatively early, so we're fortunate that there was very minor damage other than to the plane. Most evictions have been put on hold during the pandemic state of emergency, but one woman is about to lose her home and there is nothing she can do about it. Her building is being redeveloped and the process began well before COVID hit. But as Erin MacArthur reports, her special circumstances have some calling for a stop to so-called demovictions. There aren't any options left. Despite the state of emergency, Sarah Baumgart is getting kicked out of her apartment. The block being developed into condos. To evict tenants during a pandemic so that the property can sit empty and then be redeveloped into condos is really irresponsible. Baumgart was given a reprieve when the province in the spring put a hold on evictions for any reason. The developer who owns this block of Broadway originally served her with an eviction notice in March. While tenants' rights groups have been consistently calling for a postponement... The government chipped away at the effectiveness of the protections that the evictions ban offered. Landlords have made the case that the rules needed to change. Last month, the government ultimately agreed laying out new rules which allow for evictions under certain circumstances. Evictions, for example, where there was a previous order pre-COVID, those will come into effect. We have already obtained the attached order of possession dated March 24th. With dem evictions now back on the table, Baumgart is going to have to be out by the end of September. To make matters more complicated, she is immunodeficient. Finding a place could be challenging and likely increases her bubble well beyond her comfort zone. The one time I did go out to go look at a place, the, the landlord stood like a foot away from me the whole time. And even when I requested she back up, she wouldn't wear a mask. And, and it was really, um, it was really jarring. The pandemic providing new challenges for people already struggling to find decent homes with affordable rent. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. TransLink might be starting to feel the pressure to make masks mandatory. TransLink tweeted an image saying, wearing is caring. But False Creek Ferries fired back saying, quote, we made masks mandatory a month ago. It adds the move resulted in passengers and crew members feeling more safe and even sparked an increase in ridership. That's prompting TransLink to take action. The Transit Authority will now be talking to Provincial Health Officer Dr. Bonnie Henry about what a mandatory mask policy could look like on the public system. 
There's no easy solution. Transit definitely has some factors that we don't have to consider. They're a much bigger organization than we are. Um, but we've just found that it works for us and it makes our ridership feel safer. Public safety is you know, very important to us and for our whole family, safety is very important. So that's the reason, you know, and we're not from here, we're in Calgary. We're visiting Vancouver, you know. So whenever you come to a, a place where you know, there's a lot of a huge crowd, you know, then you should be wearing a mask. That's a must. London Drugs is resuming its drop-off recycling program for customers. Soft, flexible plastics, beverage containers, and styrofoam are now included in the list of items once again accepted at all stores throughout the province. The program was temporarily suspended back in March to avoid the risk of community spread of COVID-19. But the company says evidence has now evolved, indicating the transmission risk on surfaces is extremely low and allows for the program to start up again. They are, however, restricting the quantities of items each customer is allowed to recycle per day. So check with your location. A local florist in North Vancouver is doing her part to spread joy among her neighbors and her community. Rachel Clausen from The Bird of Botanicals grows all of her own flowers in her backyard. And when the pandemic hit, she was looking to find a way to get her flowers into the homes of her neighbors. She set up a self-serve cart, offering $10 bunches in exchange for cash left in an envelope or an e-transfer. She says the response from people wanting to support local has been very positive. I started with my tulips. I took the step and I planted a thousand tulip bulbs last year and then as they started to bloom I realized that that actually wasn't even enough. I was selling out really quickly so um, planted seeds throughout the spring and then now we'll have them now until end of fall. I'll be growing and be able to keep going with the cart. Still to come, it was a valiant attempt to save a young man from drowning. Today, the people who risked their own lives trying to save another talk about the experience, knowing they did everything they could. That's in just over a minute. American swimmer Katie Ledecky is going viral for showing off gold medal balance in a new ad for milk. That's coming up on the News Hour. And BC research shows Mars isn't what many scientists thought it was. How they're rewriting the book about the red planet coming up. Right now, though, despite the desperate efforts of rescuers, a young man drowned in Whistler's Alta Lake last week. Tonight, two of the Good Samaritans are sharing their harrowing experience with a renewed warning to those enjoying our lakes and rivers this summer. Paul Johnson reports. For Christopher Nicholas and Risa Montero Wilson, the summer of 2020 is one they won't soon forget. Out with a couple friends, just there to enjoy the day. Alta Lake near Whistler late last month, a summer day at the lakeside when they heard something go wrong. Somebody needed help because they weren't doing so good in the water. And it was at that moment when Chris got back with the kayaks and we realized what was happening. When I recognized what was going on, I sprinted out to the water got in the water, started looking around. Not only is Nicholas a firefighter with the city of Abbotsford, he's also an experienced swimmer who gave his all. When I was diving down into the water, you know, I was, I wanted, like I was just asking God for more air to, to, to go down that deep and pull him up. Nicholas got him to the beach and did CPR and the man was taken to hospital but didn't survive. His death, one of at least five drownings that have happened in B.C. since mid-May. 
Cultus Lake, the Veda River, Shushwap Lake, or some of the others. Astonishingly, all were young men in their 20s, like Nathan Felito of Edmonton, who had a promising football career ahead of him, but didn't make it out of the water at Shuswap. You can never be too careful with around water. I think a huge part of this is like respecting your environment. Wise words in a summer that's seeing huge pressure on BC's beaches and waterways, and more opportunities for people to get into trouble by going beyond their swimming ability. Paul Johnson, Global News. Still ahead, all eyes on tropical storm Isaias. We're prepared for it. The East Coast community, the East Coast community, likely to get the worst of it coming up. And a sip of milk before a workout for this Olympic swimmer, but it's what she did with it next that's blowing everyone away. Happy BC Day. Here we are over the Ironworkers Memorial Bridge where some good news just cleared a stall. It was southbound at mid-span in the left lane and traffic is almost fully recovered here. Sussex Insurance are your auto plan experts for insurance renewals, changes, or other ICBC transactions all from home. Just visit sussexinsurance.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Ironworkers Memorial Bridge. Concern is growing for an endangered population of unique rodents at even greater risk from fire. The Green Mountain Blaze is encroaching on the habitat of the Vancouver Island Marmot, one of the rarest animals in the world. There are fewer than 200 of them in the wild, and they are only in B.C. Ultimately, a high-intensity hot fire could be devastating both for the marmots at Green Mountain and if the fire spread along that ridgeline for other marmot colonies as well. We're extremely aware of how difficult that terrain is to work in. So um, just a big thank you to, to everybody who's out there right now working on the fire. And an American man is on a mission to save the rapidly declining koala population in Australia, devastated by recent wildfires there. Scientists are warning of their extinction if action isn't taken quickly. Koalas are an icon of Australia, but one that could be gone in a generation. They face multiple threats from fires, disease, and deforestation. So American filmmaker Doug Thrawn decided to do something about it. I saw these videos um, of basically, you know, koalas being burned up and people trying to rescue koalas. But I'm not going back to California. I guess I'm going to Australia because, you know, I knew that my infrared drone could save countless number of koalas. Last year, devastating fires swept across large parts of Australia. Nearly three billion animals killed. The koalas lost a third of their population. Thrawn moved around the world with a mission to slow their decline, now using his drone to help count and rescue those remaining. She'd only be about 10 months old, and because of the drone, this little life was saved. His thermal cameras scour the landscape, doing in minutes what it used to take hours. You fly the drone over an area and you do it while the ground is cooler and then the heat of the animal pops up. You can see the shape of the koala basically. Knowing the population is important in protecting the koala's habitat, say conservationists. Uh, it helps us to ask or campaign to government don't allow that forest to be bulldozed or chopped down because that's the number one threat at the moment. So for now, the species remains out on a limb, one that is very fragile. Ian Lee, CBS News, London. 
Still to come, four young girls arrested and handcuffed. Traffic is steady both ways over here at the Patello Bridge this evening, but where there is a delay is underneath it. Front Street is completely closed every weekend this summer, uh, except for pedestrians and cyclists. So you can go ahead and use Royal Avenue or Columbia Street instead. Is your hearing important? Connect Hearing is Canada's number one physician-referred hearing health care provider. Visit connecthearing.ca for a free hearing test. Take care of your hearing. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Patello Bridge. A challenging situation for firefighters and residents in California. The Apple Fire burning east of Los Angeles remains out of control and has now grown to more than 10,000 hectares. For reference, that's about 25 times the size of Stanley Park. Locals say they have seen wildfires before, but not this early in the season, not this big, and certainly not in this part of the mountain range. On the east coast of the United States, a threat of another kind. Millions of residents there are now bracing for the arrival of Tropical Storm Isaias. <laughs> Difficult one to pronounce. And during the pandemic, it's putting emergency responders to the ultimate test, too. Global's Reggie Cicchini explains. Spinning off the coast of the southeastern U.S., Isaias has its eye on the Carolinas. We want people to stay safe and, and stay in and stay home. Hurricane warnings blanket the coasts of both states as they brace for high winds and high water. We're prepared for it. We have a generator and everything we need. The last storm to make landfall in the region was Dorian in 2019. And while this storm may not be as strong, it still poses a deadly risk for anyone in its path. Mandatory evacuation orders are in place along North Carolina's outer banks. While the storm is changing in intensity, now is not the time to be complacent. Approximately 120 National Guard personnel are already staging at armories in the east. Power crews are prepared for damage caused by strong winds, while storm surges threaten low-lying areas all the way into New England. We've learned the hard way, and because we know that it is our job, the city's job, to get ready with measures like this. Over the weekend, Florida was left largely untouched. Precaution led hospital officials to move patients inland. It makes it a lot more complicated because you have to take social distancing into account. Social distancing while riding out a storm isn't easy. Homes and shelters could become a nexus for COVID-19. Shelters will screen people for coronavirus symptoms. If someone has COVID-19 or shows symptoms, they'll be directed to a sheltering option for isolation or medical attention. The storm has led states to cancel outdoor testing sites. And with the most active part of the hurricane season still more than a month away, Isaias is providing emergency responders a dry run for how to fight back against simultaneous disasters. Reggie Chikini, Global News, Washington. We are getting our clearest look yet at what led up to the deadly interaction between George Floyd and four Minneapolis police officers back in May. New body cam video has been leaked, and as always, a warning that some of the images in this report will be disturbing. I see your hands. Seconds after rookie Minneapolis police officer Thomas Lane approaches George Floyd's vehicle, he's already drawn his gun. 
These body camera videos were viewed in person by NBC News last month, but had not been distributed publicly. The DailyMail.com says it obtained a leaked copy, apparently recorded off a computer screen. Please don't shoot me. Please, man. I'm not going to shoot you. Step on the face away. Floyd sobs as he tells the officer he'd been shot. For the first time, the videos show how a call about an alleged fake $20 bill on Memorial Day escalated into a deadly encounter that would ignite global outrage. The officers handcuffed Floyd and then struggled to get him into a squad car. Floyd pleads with the officers, saying that he has anxiety and that he just recovered from COVID-19. Prosecutors have charged the officer who then knelt on Floyd's neck with second-degree murder and manslaughter. The three other officers are accused of aiding and abetting him. The Minneapolis Police Department today had no comment on the body camera videos. Neither did the attorneys for three of the four ex-officers. The lawyer for former officer Thomas Lane says that he'd like the court to release the full videos. Police in Colorado have opened an internal investigation after officers handcuffed four young black girls, the youngest just six years old. Police have offered apologies to the family, but they say it should never have happened, and they don't want it to happen to anyone else. This morning was supposed to be a girl's trip to get nails done, but before this family got to an open salon, they were detained by Aurora police. I saw a car next to me with four girls in it. Uh, feet were up on the dash, it was real cute. And next thing I know, the police pull up silently behind them and had guns drawn on the children. Jennifer Wirt started recording on her phone when the police handcuffed the kids and put them face down on the ground. <laughs> that's police brutality. I don't give a damn what nobody say, that's police brutality. From right to left, the video shows 12-year-old, a 17-year-old, a 14-year-old, and a 6-year-old. She's screaming for her mother, and I'm trying to calm her down. Police say they detained this family because they got a report of a stolen vehicle, but Brittany Gilliam's car wasn't what they should have been looking for. He's like, something about the car being reported stolen. I was like, this happened months ago. You guys cleared it. We had to pick up the car the next day, the very next day. Like, you know, so I'm not understanding what's going on. Brittany's car was stolen in February and found the next day. The vehicle that was actually reported stolen on Sunday morning was a motorcycle with Montana plates. It just happened to have the same license plate number as Brittany's Colorado plate. There's no excuse why you didn't handle it a different type of way. Aurora police say they are trained to do what's called a high-risk stop when contacting a stolen car. That means weapons are drawn and the people in the car are told to lie on the ground. It's like they don't care. Who am I going to call when my life is in danger? The family filed a complaint against Aurora police. They want protocol to change so this won't happen to other kids. Video sharing app TikTok might be receiving a lifeline from a tech giant to continue operating in the U.S. Microsoft and ByteDance are discussing a possible deal that would see Microsoft own and operate the TikTok service in the U.S., Canada, Australia and New Zealand. 
The tech company has spoken with U.S. President Donald Trump to address his concerns around the possible agreement. President Trump said on Friday that he's planning to ban the Chinese-owned app from operating in the U.S. The Trump administration says TikTok poses a threat to national security. Apple has reportedly bought a startup firm with technology that could turn your iPhone into a mobile payment terminal. Users would be able to either tap their phone or a credit card to another phone to process a transaction. It works through the NFC chip that's already in the iPhone. While Apple Pay lets you use your iPhone to pay in stores, this technology could allow any iPhone to accept payments without needing extra hardware, such as a card reader. In Health Matters tonight, new research proves healthcare workers have a higher risk of developing COVID-19. And while that in itself might not be surprising, the study also looked at which frontline workers are twice as likely to become infected. Dr. Dan Restrepo has treated many COVID-19 patients as an attending physician at Massachusetts General Hospital. He also had the coronavirus in March. Uh, fortunately, I had very mild symptoms such as fever and uh, congestion, as well as loss of uh, smell and change in my taste. New research finds frontline healthcare workers are much more likely to get COVID-19 compared to people in the general community. Healthcare workers that had adequate levels of personal protective equipment had the lowest risk of developing COVID-19. But even with adequate levels of PPE, healthcare workers still had a higher risk. So it really is an open question as to what other things we can do for healthcare workers to really mitigate their risk. Dr. Andrew Chan is senior author of the study that looked at almost 100,000 frontline healthcare workers in the U.S. and the U.K. this spring. Workers from black, Asian, and minority backgrounds had a nearly twofold higher risk compared to white healthcare workers. I think it's quite clear that uh, black and Hispanic communities are disproportionately affected by COVID-19. I think our study uh, really showed that this also persisted even among healthcare workers. Dr. Restrepo says being on the front lines of the pandemic has been life-changing. It was harrowing to, to see so many people um, from the Latinx communities in, in Boston to, to be so disproportionately affected by this. It also simultaneously gave me a very big sense of purpose and a sense of utility of being able to be there for, for these people in their time of need. He hopes if there is another wave, it will be on a level the system can handle. Michael George, CBS News. Just ahead on the news hour, Michael Bublé joins the best of BC. Michael Bublé! The singer and 12 other notable appointees can now add Order of BC to their resumes. And got balance? American swimmer Katie Ledecky shows off hers in a new ad for milk that you've got to see to believe. Coming up. Coming up, Red Planet Research, new evidence out of UBC on what ancient Mars might have looked like. That's right after Christie's forecast. 
hot as Mars in some parts of the province, but a beautiful BC day weekend for a lot of folks, Christy. It was. It was a great weekend. We've got lots of photos showing what everyone has been up to. Temperatures cooled off a little bit today, uh, so not quite as hot, but pleasant conditions, that's for sure. This is near Enderby, the Shushwak River. Thank you to Barb for that one. A nice float down the river would be pretty awesome right now, and reeling in the sun. Sure does look like you're doing that. Thank you, Ron, for that one. And look at this little cutie. Yes. Tennis, anyone? She's up for it, that's for sure. Thanks to Ken for sending in that one. All right, so this weekend we turned the corner when it came to the forest fire situation. Uh, we've had many days of dry weather, but it really got kicked off by all the lightning that we saw basically Friday into Saturday morning. Over, over 40,000 strikes across the province, and that doesn't even include what we saw in through the south coast region. So that really sort of kicked things off. But I want you to note this. Uh, 41 active fires are in place right now, and lots of them across southern BC. Not as many in through these northern regions, and that really coincides sides with the fire danger rating. So I really want you in those southern regions to be very careful. Even if you're in these areas, don't become complacent, but very careful. We've got two dry days on the way. No more lightning or significant lightning expected over the next couple of days, but we continue with this very dry, hot weather. I know a lot of people are thinking it's not so dry out there because it has been a slow start to summer, that's for sure. But basically, middle of July on, we haven't had a lot of water, and that's not only at YVR, this uh, calendar showing YVR, but that's the case right across southern BC. So we've really dried out in a lot of areas. Now, two hot dry days on the way, as I mentioned, but we are going to see the temperatures plummet and we are going to see a bit more rain in the forecast. That's not only for the south coast region, but it's the case for the interior regions as well. But then it also comes with lightning. So we really are going to be watching the scenario over the next few days. So this is the start of that system pushing into the north coast tomorrow, and it will take a little while for it to make its way into southern BC. So really, as I mentioned, with those two dry, hot days for most of BC, this is your Tuesday, but Wednesday will be fairly similar as well with just slightly above average temperatures. But then Thursday and Friday, the temperatures will drop and we do certainly have a chance of showers not only across the south coast, but in the interior as well. But that also comes with that risk of lightning. So we'll be watching for that. In the meantime, enjoy the nice weather over the next couple of days and I'll leave you with your central windows, weather window, which which was our August full moon. The official full moon was early this morning, but this was captured last night as it was rising. Reminding me of the red planet. Mm-hmm. Which takes That's us, right. Takes us to our next story. Thanks very much for that, Christy. Some new research out of UBC is casting some doubt on the theory that Mars once had rivers. Researchers used new techniques to examine the erosion of thousands of Martian valleys on Mars when they were first discovered 40 years ago. The assumption was they were created by rivers that once flowed freely. Well, now scientists have discovered striking similarities between those valleys and subglacial channels in the Canadian Arctic archipelago, like this one. Researchers say the valley networks scarring Mars' surface were carved by water melting beneath glacial ice, and the red planet was likely covered in ice sheets. Cool. So the biggest new thing in the story is that Rather than being a, a very climate, warm and wet place, um, the climate of Mars, the ancient climate, had much more aligned with Antarctica. Looked like he was communicating to us from deep space there, didn't it? <laughs>
Supersonic air travel is making a comeback. Virgin Galactic has announced an agreement with Rolls-Royce to develop an aircraft for supersonic travel and revealed a first look at the design. Capable of traveling at three times the speed of sound, the plane could cut travel time from London to New York down to just 90 minutes or less. Virgin Galactic says the aircraft would carry between 9 and 19 passengers and cruise at an altitude above 60,000 feet. The aircraft design also aims to lead the way towards state-of-the-art sustainable aviation fuel. What about Vancouver to Kelowna? How fast would that be at that speed? <laughs> be there in about 30 seconds. Uh, okay, let's bring the gang in here and talk a little bit about hockey. Because if you waited four months for a meaningful hockey game the other night, uh, you'd, be, you'd be a little disappointed, wouldn't you, Squire? Well... <laughs> I'm not entirely surprised they had trouble with Minnesota's defense. The Wild actually have some of the um, better defensemen in the league at doing what they did, basically keeping the Canucks away from their net. So game two is coming up tomorrow night, but the coach believes Vancouver will be better. Tomorrow we're going to play better, and I like our chances if we do. Chances is the operative word here. They will need to generate more to beat Alex Stalock and Minnesota. Also coming up later, the highest honor our province can bestow and the select group of appointees who just earned it. Five-time gold medalist Katie Ledecky is blowing up social media with an astonishing display of skill in the swimming pool. It's certainly not a normal training session. She put a cup of chocolate milk on the top of her head and swam the entire length of the pool without spilling a drop. Ledecky was shooting an ad for the Got Milk campaign when she did it, saying it's possibly one of the greatest swims of her career. I don't know. She's got five gold medals. It has nearly two million views already. That is amazing. All right, let's check in. See, that should be an event. It should be. It's, it's kind of like swimming's version of the running with the egg on a spoon. Kind <laughs> of the same idea. True. Maybe more difficult. Be a cool I event. Oh, Take it away, Scott. Okay, so, well, we all saw what happened last night to the Vancouver Canucks. So, the opening game against Minnesota was tough in more ways than one. Michael Furlan, he had a fight. He also speared a guy on the bench. He was fined $5,000 because of that this morning. He wasn't suspended, though. He can play game two tomorrow if Travis Green wants him to. Now, if you go back to that one exhibition game the Canucks had against Winnipeg last week, and obviously last night's 3-0 loss to Minnesota, the Canucks have only scored one goal in 120 minutes of bubble hockey, and that came from Antoine Roussel. Nothing from the top two lines, which obviously must change rapidly. Here's an example of how it went for the Canucks offensively last night. JT Miller's pass, blocked. Chris Tanev gets the puck, blocked. And while the Canucks may have had trouble seeing through things, Minnesota goalie Alex Stalock saw everything. You know, they do a good job of putting a lot of people down low and, you know, we just got to find a way to get our shots through and have traffic at the net and score those playoff-type goals. 
Among the positives for the Vancouver Canucks, they didn't allow a five-on-five -five goal, just two power play markers and an empty netter. And their young stars, especially Elias Pettersson, didn't fold under playoff pressure. I thought Petey was fantastic. His compete level was very high. Obviously, he's a guy that other teams are going to key on in the playoffs, and he, he embraced it. One thing about not scoring a goal last night, perhaps this opens up a spot for Jake Vertanen to get in the lineup. After all, he had 18 goals in the regular season. But per usual, the coach is not letting us know. And we are considering everything. Is there a chance we'll make a change? For sure. I'm probably not going to tell you that, though, if I am. It was all outside last night. The defenseman out shot the forward 17 to 11. You see Pedersen and Miller with two, Brock Besser with one. But you can have the three Zeds from Toffoli, Horvat, and Pearson, Zip, Zilch, and Zero. Jets and Flames, the uh, Jets without Mark Shifley and Patrick Laine, so it looks like they're ripe to go down 2-0. But Jansen Harkins gets in the lineup. The kid from North Van scores 1-0 for Winnipeg. Jets had a 2-0 lead, and then Nick Ehlers gives away the Christmas gift in August. Elias Lindholm scores. It was 2-2, and then Ehlers redeems himself. The deflection... And it's in, and despite missing those players, the Jets have even the series at 1-1. Rangers and Canes. Rod Brindamore, who has a street named after him in Campbell River, is home. And who is his big player today? Andrei Svechnikov. There's one. Here's two. And the third one is coming. All of them assisted by the equally as talented Sebastian Ajo. 4-1 the final. Canes are one win away from moving to the final 16. Of course, Montreal pulled an overtime upset in Game 1, mainly because of the play of Terry Price. He's been playing well tonight in Game 2, but he was beaten by Sidney Crosby in the first period. Only goal in the game so far. 1-0 in the second for Pittsburgh. And the round-robin games, they're not quite as interesting because these teams know they're in the final 16. They just don't want to get hurt. But Vegas had a big comeback today. Four and a third to beat Dallas. Shootout win for Tampa Bay over Washington. Still regular season for the NBA in their bubble, and Fred Van Vliet and the Raptors are looking good. Norman Powell along the baseline against the Heat. Now Powell sets up Pascal Siakam, who had 22. Kamloops, Kelly plays for the Heat now. Off the bench with 17, but the big man... For Toronto is Freddie Van Vliet, 36 points. There's three of them right there. Toronto wins the game, 107 to 103. There you go. Rear night for Freddie. Good to see you. All right, thanks very much, Squire. Let's bring in Andrea now, who has uh, some breaking news for us related to a fire that's burning in the Princeton area. Ann, what did you learn? That's right, Chris. An evacuation alert has been issued for 43 properties in the Similkameen region. The Dry Lake wildfire is burning 24 kilometers northwest of Princeton. The fire started on Sunday and has grown to 22 hectares in size. Plus, a renewed call to make masks mandatory on public transit. A Langley City Councillor and transportation blogger is joining a growing chorus of voices calling for more safety measures to protect the public. Those stories and more when you join us tonight at 11 o'clock. Chris? All right, thanks very much, Ann. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, 13 of the best people this province has produced. That's next.
Burnaby crooner Michael Buble headlines the list of outstanding British Columbians set to be honored with an Order of B.C. this year. Richard Zussman has more on the winners and why one popular choice who didn't make the cut could join the class of 2021. They represent the best in B.C. From music, to politics, to philanthropy, to science. I'm humbled by this. Uh, it, it, it is a recognition of, of many years of, of work. But there's one person missing, one of the province's most beloved citizens, Dr. Bonnie Henry. Thank you and good afternoon. We're always getting uh, fresh nominations every year, and clearly people will be motivated to nominate those who have stood out uh, recently in the recent past. The Order of BC is the highest honour a British Columbian can receive from the province. The nominations closed on March 6th, two weeks before the pandemic began. And it's unclear based on confidentiality whether Dr. Henry was even nominated for the recognition. But what is clear is British Columbians would like to see her honoured next year. She's keeping us all safe and she's great. Definitely led BC in the right direction. Absolutely. This year's class includes 13 people. Former Finance Minister Carol Taylor already has an Order of Canada. Now she has an Order of BC. Receiving it from your province, your home province, saying that your work is appreciated is, you know, it's just very, very special. Michael Bublé has a star in the Hollywood Walk of Fame, a room full of Junos and Grammys, and now an Order of BC. Dr. Mel Krajdin is the medical head of hepatitis at the BC Centre for Disease Control and hopes Dr. Henry joins him on the exclusive list next year. I'm certainly going to be in the lineup to suggest that she receive one and probably an Order of Canada as well. We know Henry's been nominated for the Order of Canada, but no news on the outcome. Her encouragement of the population has saved many lives and that's worth a nomination. As for those hoping to recognize any British Columbia next year, for COVID-19 reasons or otherwise, the details are all on the Order of BC website. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Congratulations and well done to all the appointees. Last word on weather before we go, Christy. Sure, two sunny days on the way before we have a chance of showers on Thursday. All right, hope you're having a great BC day, everyone. We'll be back here tomorrow. Have a great night.